This episode is brought to you by my book, Be Left Behind, available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. If you've ever been interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and curious why Bitcoin has gone above $40,000 since the start of 2021, and if it could go even higher, this is the book for you. I've gotten messages in the last few weeks from professors, Silicon Valley investors, and friends and family thanking me for writing a book that brings everybody, no matter where they are, up to speed in language they can understand so that they best know how to approach Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Again, if it's anything you've ever been curious about and want to know where to start, Be Left Behind is the perfect book to do that. And I'm very, very proud of it. You, again, you can purchase it on Amazon, your local bookstore, Barnes & Nobles, or if you are interested in an autographed copy, go to my website, yurikataldo.com. This episode is also brought to you by meetfox.com. Meetfox is the simplest solution to interact with your clients online with their easy-to-use, fully web-based, no-tech-skills-required uh, system. All you have to do is sign up on their site. You can then link your calendar together and it's a single one-click scheduling. They eliminate the back and forth. will allow you to fill up your calendar directly and quickly and personally. I love this feature because back and forth to find meetings is a huge pain. You then can do your meetings online on their interface, which works really well. Also, they set up instant payments and automatic invoicing. So if you're charging clients for these meetings, you can do it automatically. You can do it before the meeting happens. It's absolutely fantastic one-stop shopping for anybody who is looking to monetize their time with online meetings. That's meetfox.com. If you use the promo code Yuri, you will get two months absolutely free, which is a special deal that they gave me. Uh, and stay tuned for a special interview with the one of the co-founders of Meet Fox on the story behind the, the company, which is absolutely fantastic. Again, that's meetfox.com. Use the promo code Yuri, Y-U-R-I, at checkout, and you'll get two months absolutely free. Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to the 200th episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. Every week I sit down with creative entrepreneurs to discuss the who, what, where, when, and how of their journeys. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. And as always, please remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. Today, for this very special episode, I'm excited to sit down with Ryan and Janae from the musical group, Nay. Now, for longtime listeners of the show, you will remember Janae from episode 38, which feels like a decade ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And I'll provide links in the show for notes to that interview about her background. Janae, Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm really really well happy to, it's crazy i had no idea that was episode 38 and uh like right when i moved to chicago and it's so wonderful to be catching up with you again because so much has changed and so many really awesome and um 
creative ways. And thanks so much for having me back on the show and having Ryan on the show. We're so excited to see you. Of course, of course. Yeah, I had to Google it. I mean, yes, Google. I Googled my own show to because rem- I knew that you and I chatted, again, what seems like forever ago, but I had to look it up and I was like, oh, great. It was so long ago, but um, I'm excited to have you both on the show. So where are you two located these days and how are things in your neck of the woods? Yeah, so I'll start uh, the beginning of this one and let Ryan fill in the details, but uh, we are in the Chicago area and um, we live in a historic farmhouse that Ryan, myself, and other members of REB Records, which is the the micro record label that Ryan runs, we've sort of uh, created an artist collaborative by transforming a a portion of the house, the second floor, into a uh, recording studio, currently a live streaming studio. We'll talk more about that as we move forward, I'm assuming. And uh, yeah, so we're in the Chicago area and um, have been spending quite a bit of time at home in recent months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. We, we, have a, we have access to, you know, all of the tools we would want to create, um, but that also brings with it, you know, some, some difficulties, I mm-hmm. would think, I think, because when it's always available, it doesn't have the same onus as like paying for studio time. So you don't like show up 100% ready for that like three hour session. It's kind of like, well, we could record vocals or not. It doesn't matter. So there's there's like a give and take, but um, I think for what we like and sort of the lifestyle that we want, um, having literally half of the living space devoted completely just to creative endeavors, um, it has been really useful for us and mm-hmm. allows us to do a lot of work uh, at, a, at a pretty high level. Um, constantly. Yeah. And I would say um, something that's occurred to me in, you know, the last, I guess, four years of living in Chicago is just how awesome of an artist community there is, not just in Chicago City, where recently I've been collaborating with artists in Chicago. And then, you know, there's the whole like greater Chicagoland area, the suburban area where there's a lot of people who want to hang out, do cool things. And, um, it's turned into a, a really awesome community, even despite the, you know, the, the difficulties of, of the pandemic over the last few months. Yeah, excellent. So I'm gonna start with Ryan on this one. Um, so Ryan, you are, are a, I would say prol- prolific is the best way I can describe this. If, I feel like every video I watch of you, you're playing a new instrument or a new like technique so where did your let's say love of music come from and why did what was it that made you want to learn so many instruments in so many different variations sure well i i grew up here in chicago and evanston actually both my parents were music majors at northwestern so okay (laughs) the music runs deep but i will add a caveat to that uh and my my brother is also a um classical violinist with Grant Park Symphony and Pittsburgh Symphony. So all professional musicians and my sister uh, as well. Um, All of them are focused on classical music. And I also focused on classical music and grew up playing piano and viola and then got into trumpet and stuff. Um, 
but I was sort of the black sheep of the family and went towards playing jazz. I was a real rebel. Um, so that was, that was sort of my, my life was practicing every day because that's also what my parents did. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we, my, my dad also owned the music store. So like I had access to every instrument, <laughs> any instrument. Um, and I just really did not want to play the instruments of anyone else in the family because they were all, I'll just say better. Like there was an ease <laughs> to what they did that I didn't have. And so I was always looking for something that no one could coach me on all day. Uh, and trumpet ended up being a great option for that. And uh, yeah, just in college playing, I, I wanted to play bass. So I bought a bass uh, before I went to college or my parents bought it or something. And literally like the third day that I was in the dorms at University of Michigan, uh, I heard some people playing music down the hall. So I just went over, I was like, hey, what's up? And uh, there were a couple, a couple guys playing bassoon. <laughs> I kid you not, bassoon and acoustic guitar and singing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, I play bass. And so I, I didn't even, I went and unwrapped it. I never even played it and uh, went back and that those guys are still friends. And we had bands for four years throughout college and, and stuff. So it's just been an, a lifelong sort of constant, which I know is a very unique experience. Um, and throughout high school, college, and then into a professional career, I pursued more and more composition and then the technical side, both live sound, integrated sound, project management of tech events, and then into the recording side of it, which mm. most of it up until about five years ago has been focused on classical and jazz music um, with the occasional sort of pop gig or like folk and stuff. The last five years have been more and more of the of the, I, I would say the pop genre, hip hop, that sort of stuff, um, which means my composition skills come in a lot more because I end up writing a lot of that um, and obviously fits into the Nay project and, and the mm -hmm. album that, that's coming out that we're releasing in a, soon. Yeah. <laughs> when are we releasing it? Uh, Friday, January 8th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that's sort of the background. I love it. I mean, there's guitars and bass and keyboard and a ukulele and a flugelhorn. <laughs> This one, a lot of people don't know this one. It's like a interesting flugel trumpet thing. Sounds great. You know, you got to have your instruments around. Of course, of course. <laughs> so I just love sound is really what it is. It's whether it's music or sound effects or sound design or ADR or whatever. I just love it. Yeah, excellent. So, so Janae, same, same question for you. Where did your love of, of music come from and, and how has it evolved into let's say the, the Nay project right now. Yeah, so I um, studied piano and flute when I was uh, essentially, well, piano in second grade and then flute going through high school. And my mom is a musician and a piano player. Um, and it has always been for me a place to find community. And I was never, you know, I did all of the contests and the competitive side when I was younger, but that was never really like, you know, the passion for the art for me, as far as like performing some like classical piece, which is beautiful and awesome. But I, you know, it felt more like a task than something that was like truly liberating. 
Um, but as you and I talked about in uh, the last time we uh, did an interview, my uh, studies in um, undergrad and grad school, even though I was still involved with um, symphonic wind ensemble and music groups was primarily in visual art. And specifically, I started focusing on ways to make performative art and interactive art and art that sort of challenged space, architecture, uh, form, the things we see on an everyday basis, whether that's like the shopping mall that you see on the side of the road or that you like shopping at, uh, the way that you consume at these places, how you consume at these places, and it evolved into my my practice as an artist evolved into this performative practice where I was going to places and enacting these absurd performances and spaces, whether that was walking on a tightrope, uh, dressed in a tutu in a 60% vacant suburban housing development, or whether that was dressing up as a mannequin and standing inside of a storefront in a dead mall, and then constantly videotaping these experiences. And so when I started thinking about the NAE project, I was thinking, what is a media that is both performative, potentially absurd and ridiculous, uh, but also fun and accessible and something that I would love to learn how to make and something that I, I think I could pull other folks in to really enjoy the, the fun of the art itself, as opposed to it being, you know, some piece that you see in a white wall uh, museum gallery. So sort of thinking about how to expand the boundaries of of the art and of the performance. And to me, um, pop music seemed like a good way to go, even though like six years ago, as I started thinking about how to actually execute this, I was like, pop music, it couldn't be that hard, right? I mean, they just sing the same words over and over again. As it turns out, making and writing and composing and creating pop music is really hard, <laughs> especially when you're trying to cram big ideas into it. And so um, I sort of set up these parameters for myself with the Nay Project, where I knew I wanted to talk about bigger concepts in the music, um, but still have really catchy choruses. I wanted to um, create music that was danceable, but you would also maybe do a sort of double take where you're like, wait, what was that about again? Um, <laughs> and so that sort of became sort of sort of my goals in the in the process. And so moving to Chicago and meeting Ryan and starting to collaborate with him in our band um, Black's Backbone, it turned out to be a really great working relationship, uh, songwriting relationship, and um, he has been, you know, really on board from the very beginning as far as how can we push Nay to the next level and how can you push yourself to the next level as someone who myself is not a classically trained singer, not a classically trained, you know, pop star artist person, definitely not the person who had solos in church choir in high school at all. And so um, it's been really great sort of challenging myself to take the take it to the next level where it still has all of the silly, hilarious, absurd qualities and the cultural critique that's in the music. But I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot about uh, the potential of what this project can be over the, the past um, really year and a half. So. Interesting. So 
you've both described Nay as a as a project, and I know I think in the beginning I introduced you as a musical group. So <laughs> I know we're gonna I want like I want to hear a little bit more about like the semantic argument of that. So how do you like what do you consider Nay to really be? And I probably misspoke entirely. But um, so what does what is Nay? Because then you talked about it a little bit, but what is it and what is it becoming? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. Um, I'll start and then okay. Ryan will probably have a few ideas to fill in. Nay is the is the persona, the music, the pop artist persona of the artist Janae Kontag. So uh, I've separated this pop persona from myself as a project, as an endeavor. And that's, uh, and so the, the Nay brand, the Nay identity is what takes on, you know, what's the Instagram, what's the marketing, uh, who's the artist, what's that like three letter, um, <laughs> that three letter name for the artist that sings these ridiculous songs is Nay. And uh, to me, at the core of Nay's persona, she's obsessed with um, consumerism. She's obsessed with her own like materialistic guilty pleasures. But at the same time, there's an internal conflict or an internal struggle that deals directly with sort of acknowledging and identifying uh, what I call the vicissitudes, the problems, the issues of living in a technocratic society. So the way that technology and the way the way that we consume has changed so much based on changing technology and really the changing face of capitalism. Whereas, you know, back in the 1950s and 1960s, you get a very different picture of what consumerism or what materialism is because you're looking at like massive book-like Sears catalogs that have these beautiful illustrations of women with new dishwashers and soap dispensers and lawn mowers, you know, <laughs> kitchens, all of these things that can be bought, purchased, and selected and put into a space. Uh, whereas now, you know, a lot of people right now, um, myself included, are involved with the conversation around dead malls or the death of shopping or the death of shopping in person, especially during the pandemic. And so what is Nay's response to all of that? Well, I think she looks at it and says, are you freaking kidding me? People are standing in lines driving in lines outside of Starbucks to get a coffee before like heading over to errands at <laughs> Target. And it's like, I don't know, but they still have their phone open with an Amazon shopping cart. Like maybe we're seeing a different change or different form in this. And so part of Nay's goal as both being like deeply embedded and, and deeply entrenched in the consumerist pleasure of all of it is also like, Come on, y'all! Like, wake up! This is still happening. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's why she answers the long, deep questions. Um, <laughs> I I think that I think that uh, so just to go in a little that, that was a wonderful answer. I don't even know how to respond to that. That was great. Um, my my perspective and the thing that I enjoy about producing artists. Uh, is to allow them to go into those headspaces that Janae just described uh, and be there fully. And then I like to take that project and sort of organize it and go like, okay, that's a really cool idea. 
that's like a $200,000 idea. Do we have a 2000 idea, like $2,000 idea? Like, so I would say that, that I love being in that zone of like the absurd. And I think we do that a lot when we're talking about song ideas and things like that. Um, but then I go back to spreadsheets and <laughs> cost and how much time I'll need to do something or whether we're going to record live strings and like, how do we get that together? So as a producer of, I would say the artist nay, we both produce that character. Mm -hmm. And yes. my job in, in some respects is to sort of feed the beast of ideas and then get out of the way when the ideas start happening. So, and then try to capture them as a recording engineer and, and figure out how to make that happen. So it's, a lot of it is sort of a relationship with, with any artist, but with this project specifically. Um, with that being said, the Nay project right now, we have an album uh, that we're releasing here um, shortly, uh, Push Button Future, and that's the first album. But we, we also have two other albums that are in production and uh, a third ambient album that, uh, that we've worked on um, over the last couple months. So my role in a lot of this is actually just keeping things organized. And I look at art, and pro possibly this is because of my background, but I look at art and music and all these sort of creative tasks in parentheses as actually very technical tasks where you just have to put in the time. And, you know, some people disagree with me on it, but I find that no matter who you ask, the most eccentric artist is putting in time. And that's the one thing that they all have in common. Very few, or they're putting in money. If you have a lot of money, you can buy other people's time to work on a project. Like, um, you know, I don't know, a Pixar film, right? There's a lot of creative technical people who work on that film. Uh, and they're all getting paid and that's wonderful. I think with part of my role in the Nay project is keeping things organized, moving forward, figuring out like what is our sort of in corporate terms like sprint goals for this week or this month. Um, and that's sort of, I, I hope what I bring to the process. I, and I would, I would actually um, add one other aspect in, in terms of what uh, Ryan just mentioned because I talk about Nay as being this artist persona of Janae Kontag, the artist, and Ryan has an artist persona as well, who appears in, I think, three or four of the tracks on the new Nay album. Uh, and so I, I think it's worth talking about that at some point now or moving <laughs> yeah, forward. Let's, let's as talk well. about it now. So yeah, so, so Ryan, yeah. tell me about your Nay persona. Yeah, okay. So. There's, uh, when I, when I work as an artist, when I record and um, even sometimes when I engineer, though not, not as much anymore, but I, I like to sort of embody characters. Mm -hmm. That's, Janae's heard me talk about this a lot. And I think that's part of the reason that we have a very clear distinction about who Nay is versus who we are, which is what the whole pop industry is. Yeah. I mean, come on, like. <laughs> Right. The Taylor Swift that we know is not the Taylor Swift who's like hanging out in her like jammies watching like, you know, Netflix. Like they're, they're different characters and people. It's a brand and that's okay. I think it's important consumers realize that. Um, Nicki Minaj is someone who's really good at like clearly stating how different she is on stage as a, as a character versus off stage as like a girly girl hanging out. Anyway, 
So for me, I've always done this. And I, I think part of it was sort of my bringing up in high school, um, classical music family, me playing jazz, but also like heavily into hip hop and stuff. And so uh, I, I enjoyed beatboxing and that sort of thing. And that character, had I gone that direction, um, a lot of people that I collaborate with and the Black's Backroom group refer to me as Blizzle. And the reason is uh, because that's sort of this persona I play that's like this hip hop artist who raps and is like very aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, but as I think Nay will attest, like I will dress differently. I will act differently. Like I will be in that persona when I'm recording as Blizzle and I'm getting better at just switching very quickly. Um, but I do the same thing as a jazz artist. I sort of have these personas and it just makes it easier. I feel like it's somewhat theatrical. Um, so when I step into the vocal booth, I'm blizzle if I'm rapping and I'm sort of like this smooth, I don't have a name, but jazz character if I'm singing backup vocals and that it just helps me with the headspace and to separate things. And then to be able to go back as a producer and go, yeah, no, Blizzle, you got to redo that. <laughs> like that was not the take. And uh, so that's sort of that persona. So Blizzle is this rapper hip hop artist that is like a different trunk. Uh, had I sort of gone that route as a, as a high schooler more into, well, I guess what I'm now doing. Right. But I didn't pursue that. I went into classical and jazz music and pursued degrees in those and so forth. So, yep. And what's, I mean, and I know you have a theater background, Yuri, as well, so you probably appreciate this, but, you know, when you're given a script and you perform it on stage, you, you know, typically an actor or someone who is, you know, embodying this persona will have their own take on whatever that is. And one of, like, the most awesome and rewarding parts of the experience of me writing lyrics for these Nay songs is that I can write out this ridiculous rap in triplets that's like a really fast paced moving thing and I have an idea in my head of what it may or may not sound like and then I give it to Blizzle as the rapper and uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It's out of control energy and so like even though I've been like ghostwriting some of the lyrics <laughs> yeah. for Blizzle. Nay, Nay, the character, is the ghostwriter for Blizzle, the character. Yes. Both of which are produced by Janae and Ryan. Yes. Correct. <laughs> but uh, when Blizzle, Blizzle gets these rap lyrics, uh, Blizzle gets these rap lyrics and all of a sudden there's a whole different energy or power to them even than what I anticipated in writing them. And I really appreciate that I can sort of trust the process and trust the experience with Ryan, with Blizzle the persona as Nay's collaborative partner. Yeah, so I, I love how deep the layers go on this. And it is like, it's like having a conversation with a classically trained actor, um, which is amazing. <laughs> and that there's a, a, there's a distinct separation between the person and then the, you know, the entity on stage and that they're not the same you're representing as a character. In your, so in these personas, they they appear again very deep and very well you know conceived did you workshop your perf like how did you get to your characters to where they are right now as blizzle and and nay on stage was has it been an organic process you're like you know what this is what i want to represent and then created that or or how did that process work for both of you well i i would say blizzle sort of came out of the joke for me Okay. of every once in a while, like going into a freestyle rap in the middle of a rock song with 
we have there's another group that we play with that's like sort of folk fuck you rock um music called theft to the gallows and so i would just play around and i would i would joke around and so after doing that for like 10 years um i had there was this the nickname just kind of stuck and then we developed a character so it, it was a joke at first because people were making fun of this sort of hip-hop thing that i just could can enjoy and do and then it sort of became more of a of an actual persona with with some very thoughtful decisions about what that person wears and and how they act and dress so for me it was it wasn't some like organic experience that happened over time really it was sort of like haha you're blizzle now and do that and i was like okay and then i was like all right i'm gonna make this an actual thing and think about it yeah um so I would say that really only happened over the last like four years, five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for me, I, I think I've learned a lot, especially in the last year specifically. And I think that the process of workshopping the character as Nay is ongoing. And the first time Nay was really on stage doing her thing, creating dance moves for songs was really, um, you know, last year during the series of interactive Black's Backbone shows that we did uh, at a local theater here. And that was a chance for me to start exploring what that looks like or what, what would Nay say in X situation or why is Nay going to drag this entire male mannequin up on stage and construct it in front of a live audience? Like, what are what are the motivations behind that and um i think there was a lot of reviewing too like we yeah. would go back and watch the show and go like yes we that didn't work that was out of character that broke the fourth wall too much yeah so there was there was like a a little bit of a group at least you know development right. of the pop persona name mm -hmm. yeah yep. but the nay persona goes way back to the stuff you were talking about earlier with grad school and absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, but I think um, the most, you know, the biggest challenge and the most interesting part, I guess, of workshopping us as characters uh, and what is our stage presence is, uh, has been in the last um, several months of creating and launching a live stream series called Saturday, which happens on uh, you know, about once one Saturday per month, and we're going to boot it back up uh, in January um, in uh, tandem with the release of the album, but uh, the live streaming space has become this really intimate performative space where we've been interacting with people who have been attending our shows, engaging with us in the chat, uh, writing songs on the spot based on audience members suggestions and then putting our own spin on it both as musicians and also what would the artist nay say or how would the artist blizzle rap this and so it's kind of become and it, again it's still evolving uh there's like a layer of improvisational comedy to it but it's also you know this really intimate situational space where we're really able to speak with engage with um our our fans our friends our family members who have been awesome and uh come to our shows yeah so that's interesting. So I want to talk about what it's been like as an artist during 2020. And um, I was fortunate enough to spend time with both of you and Sully and Nathan in your studio 
right before I feel like the world fell apart. It was like at <laughs> the last conference I went to when I was in Chicago and I got yep. to hang out with yeah. you guys. It yep. was awesome. And then suddenly, you know, everything changes. Um, so I know both of you were diagnosed with, with having COVID or very early on. So what was that like when that, when you got that diagnosis, what did it feel like? How did you know suddenly you were, you know, feeling off? And then how did you deal with that in the early days of COVID when everyone was just trying to figure out like what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I can, I can speak to the more technical side of that. It was like, sure. there was, yeah, we were, we were very early and that's because um, we, pretty sure never know but um i work in like international events and stuff and we'll do that type of project management um and so we're pretty sure that's where we contracted it i was at an event where six people uh flew back to france and then were positive so probably that's where i got it. anyway um the the interesting piece of it was for me was sort of we were trying to figure out like are we sick or not and so like, should we go to the doctor and get tested while there was a fair amount of information that was saying this isn't real and it's just on the East Coast or it's just on a boat off the West Coast or something. It was just, yeah. that, that was a very existential odd, like what is going on? Like, is there a way I have this? Like clearly there is because I was at an event where a bunch of people had it. Um, so we, we had to deal with that. And I think Janae can talk more about the emotional side of it. Um, but the, the result of that was actually a lot of phone calls from health officials trying to figure out what was going on, which was nuts. I don't know how they got my cell phone number, but it was being passed around. I kid you not. I talked to people at the CDC. I talked to people at the um, epidemiologist center in Illinois or something like the department. They called me several times to ask like, how are you feeling? Where did you go? What? And I'm like, how do you guys even have, who is this? Um, and the hospitals had no protocols. Like we just walked in and we're like, hey. So um, there was definitely confusion. Uh, and, and then we had to let everyone we were around know once we got positive tests and that produced a lot of stress and you know, that, that issue. Um, being sort of patient zero meant that as we were getting these weird random calls from health people and hospitals and so forth, trying to figure out like, well, who, who have you been around? Ah. Um, we were also getting, obviously, as should anyone who is sick, um, a lot of calls from family members and stuff and people trying to figure out what was going on um, and people who were very worried. Um, so, that adds to stress and adds mm -hmm. to anxiety. And um, maybe we'll come back around, but during that time period, we then wrote an entire album that is technically nay, but it's a very different experience. And, and we're working on that for a release maybe later in 2021 or something. Yeah. I mean, you asked sort of what was it like as artists? And I think there was this sort of like cloud of doom, like going over the entire events, music, anything live industry that everyone was sensing back even in early March when we played, you know, before we were sick or anything, you know, several weeks, we played a show with probably, um, you know, 30 other 
Chicago musicians in this sort of micro festival. And it was interesting because as we were getting there, we were talking to some of the artists and they're like, dude, I'm never bringing, or I'm only bringing my own microphones to any show I ever perform in the future. Like there was this sort of like strange feeling around the whole thing. And it was almost as though like you could implicitly feel that art, all of the artists had this feeling of this could be the last show we play for a long time. And it, it was. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, to speak sort of to the emotional challenges of, um, you know, after we found out that we were um, tested positive, it was this really uh, emotional experience for me. I had a lot of anxiety every day waking up and not really feeling like there was anyone, you know, I could talk to about. And I, you know, this is really the first time I'm even really publicly talking about the experience. So I, I appreciate you asking about our comfortability level on all of this. Um, because it has been really sensitive, it's become politicized, all of that. But for me, the personal struggle was just dealing with the anxiety of not knowing what's next. And um, luckily, I have a really supportive family uh, who I, you know, both Ryan and I were able to call um, family members and talk to them. My uncle is a biologist and is very closely studying the, uh, the virus in Michigan and has been since the very start. So there were some really excellent conversations with um, my uncle Chris about the situation. And then um, I think, I guess there's sort of two sides to this. You know, a lot of times when artists are experiencing anxiety or depression or feeling really down, which is, you know, sort of a, a common theme for many musical artists, many visual artists. artists who sort of, you know, uh, will produce or create art directly addresses these emotions or these feelings or these feelings. Um, for me, being able to start to channel that anxiety into future thinking projects, saying like, no, 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 we're going to do this. We're, we're going to move forward. It's going to be okay. And, you know, having Ryan around to say like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, we're doing great. We're going to keep getting better. You know, even though we both had fevers for 20 days, you know, it's like, nope, it's just another day. We're going to keep moving forward. Um, and I, I remember, you know, checking my phone, not so much for like the news because I couldn't look at it for probably a month and a half, but, mm -hmm. uh, specifically like sort of awkwardly stalking Tom Hanks and his wife being like, you know, if Tom Hanks can make it through this right now, I can too. If Rita can like make these sing singing videos and post them online and she's making it through, we can do it too. And they're my parents age. Like, thank you, Tom Hanks <laughs> for being that. Um, but I guess a couple of things came out of this uh, from, you know, from Ryan and my conversations while we were sick and while we were in the recovery process and feeling the effect, the lingering effects of the, the illness even after the fact. And those were, as Ryan mentioned, this um, ambient album, which we wrote probably seven days into the fever, seven days into the sickness, which yeah. was an experience where we both sat down and opened up an iPad with some really awesome synthesizer sounds, opened up the recording studio, played notes and started creating these layers just sort of intuitively of what we were feeling or what sounds sonically fit the palette of those, you know, anxious emotions. Um, the other thing that came out of it, 
creatively specifically is a single, uh, a song that I wrote during that time called Flood My Body, which is actually based off one of the conversations that I had with my uncle where he was saying bet somewhere between 14 days of having a fever and 21 days of having a fever, somewhere in there, the antibodies are going to come in and flood your body and like get this thing out. And mm -hmm. for, for whatever reason, that metaphor or that idea of the antibodies just like being this amazing, like these warriors that are coming through flooding your body. Like there's sort of like a biblical feeling to it as well as like an empowerment sort of aspect. Um, I wrote a song based on what he said called flood my body and it's um, written to anyone or everyone who is recovering from the virus and experiencing those feelings of questioning whether or not their body can fight this thing mm -hmm. that's taking over. And uh, so it's, it's a really, it's one of the more emotional uh, nay songs that is, you know, very much in a more serious um, perspective as opposed to an absurdist perspective. But I think that the song to me really embodies a lot of those, um, those feelings and that the hope to keep moving forward and the, the promise of the body being this amazing thing that can, um, that can win over the thing. So, yeah. Uh, and then of course, on top of all of that, we had time, uh, at home to really plan out what Saturday and what a live stream might look like for us. So that was also really empowering and inspiring even while we were sick. Yeah. Has, so has nay your persona changed? Like did, did COVID change nay or evolve the persona in any way? That's a really good question. Um, I haven't really uh, <laughs> thought about it, but I would say, yeah, I think that uh, the music that you'll hear on the album, the music that you'll hear in the single, the ambient album, I, I think uh, is a lot more vulnerable than uh, some of the other performances which have, or some of the other songs and the, and the lyrics, which have sort of taken the nay persona outside of the world or to, as an observer more than a participant in some ways. And so I definitely think, I, I'll have to think about that one a little bit more, but um, I definitely think that there's a vulnerability side. Yeah. That's come out of it. Okay. So let's talk about then, I guess, creating music and art during, during COVID. So post your experience, you know, all this summer, everything's been closed. There are no live events happening right now. Um, so you, you mentioned briefly about some of your live streams, but how have you evolved your, your marketing, your business plans, your, you know, just music release for Nay in a world now where live music is no longer an option, at least, sorry, live in-person music. Well, I, I think, um, a big part of that is that not that much changed really. Um, in that the outreach and stuff through things like social media and talking to people who are involved in the industry, like that stuff still exists. And I think as an artist, um, you know, there were, there was definitely some weeks where we were not involved in any way promoting <laughs> things and recovering and sleeping. But um, I think some of, some of that stuff all stays the same. It, 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 and what's wonderful about the age we now live in is 
once we realized, oh, we can just sort of transition and put together the show we want to do in mm -hmm. the studio we have, going back to where we started this conversation, it took me about two weeks to, I, I won't turn the camera, but there's a lot of uh, other equipment kind of stacked up that allows us to do live streaming from within a recording studio with another computer hooked into the studio's computer. So for me, at least, I just was like, oh, I can focus on this task and put together a live show um, that, I, that I think is awesome. Saturday is really cool. And so that's, that's, that's kind of where my headspace went. And I, um, I don't take on the, the meat of the marketing side of it and the outreach, but I do like to put a goal out front and then pursue it to the extreme, <laughs> thus interactive shows in theaters and stuff like on no budgets and, and whatever. So I, I enjoy that process of just like, we're going to make this happen. And the live stream was an opportunity to do that, that there is no way we would have done without the situation of COVID and shutting down all these clubs. Mm -hmm. And now we have this completely other avenue to perform for people. So like, I, I and, and as, as Janae said earlier, it's super personal. So like when we're on stage, um, we have up multiple screens where we can see the entire chat. We also have screens where we can see the video if we're doing like a Zoom thing. Sometimes we're more like Twitch centric and sometimes it's more uh, YouTube live and sometimes it's more um, just like straight Zoom where it's a meeting uh, and people can interact and talk back to us. But so we, we have the flexibility to actually interact with that one person right there and make a joke or the audience members have the ability to make jokes with each other during the show and modify the show. So we've had people request songs that we weren't planning to play and then we do it. Or we've had audience members give suggestions in a chat and then later we get to do callbacks when we improvise a different song that they've never heard because we're improvising it. I mean, we'll set up some parameters so we like in the right key together and stuff. Right. Um, but <laughs> essentially it allowed us an opportunity to focus on a technical tight show that we controlled all aspects of. And this has led to a, a fair amount of other artists being like, how the heck are you doing this? Because the quality was HD, the audio was HD, the, the scripting was high level, you know, we're hitting like an hour and 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and we have multiple cameras going on. And like, so all of these wonderful and very, we're very fortunate to have access to this stuff. Um, all of this got put to use and that's amazing. So for me, I, I don't, it sucked, you know, it sucked being sick, but it gave me motivation to like get up every day and sit on the floor and reroute cables and figure out what the protocols needed to be in OBS as a video switcher to make sure I could run six cameras at HD quality, what type of a computer I needed so that we could pull off a show. So there was a motivation in creating the technical bed that allowed us to create the art. Mm -hmm. And I think that would not have happened ever if, if it hadn't been for these times. So it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of good that came from that. And I think it's something we would continue if tomorrow COVID went away. I, I don't think this is like some stand in where we're like, well, oh, we have live shows again. Let's just do that. Cut this out. No, this is like an episodic thing that we want to continue. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's very exciting and 
awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, for me, I've, I've never been really a gigging musician or someone who relied on that as a source of, you know, building fans or uh, making money. Really. It's, it's always been about doing something different and pushing the boundaries of pop music while still remaining inside of that genre. And I a hundred percent agree with everything that Ryan just mentioned about the opportunities that that provided. But I think we're in a unique position right now because it's not only like things are changing as far as the way that people are consuming information and consuming media and spending their Saturday nights, but it's also the way that uh, it's changed how people are interacting with each other. And I think personally, um, you know, as someone who's been online teaching and interacting with students in that format, as someone who's, you know, had a family that's put together family calls every Sunday night at 8 p.m., like, I think that's amazing. And in some ways, even though there's not like the physicality of being in a room with all of your close friends, family, collaborators, I think that this whole situation in 2020 has created a new layer of, you know, how do we get to know the people who are close with us on a different level? And to me, it feels like this space has created a far more intimate space of getting to interact. People care about the world. People care about what's going on. People are engaging politically. People want to have bigger conversations um, that that aren't just, you know, just one sentence here or there or avoid talking about this. I think people are looking for spaces where real conversations and real communications and and real intimate experiences with artists and music musicians can happen. Um, we were... Um, I miss hugs, though. Uh, hugs, that sucks. Hugs, <laughs> hugs are nice, too. Um, we were asked to participate in um, a really awesome fundraiser for a local food bank here in Chicago uh, through an organization called Music Food for Life, where they reached out to several different artists in the Chicago area and said, hey, we're putting together this live premiere. We're going to be raising money for a food bank during COVID that's having trouble honestly filling the orders for how many requests for food they're getting. And we were like, yes, absolutely. We would love to be a part of this. And so we, you know, did a song with like a Latin outro and, you know, did some salsa dancing. It was really fun. Um, but, you know, watching the premiere of this um, as it premiered live and seeing what people were saying in the comments, in the chat, it was really uh, encouraging and uplifting and people were engaging over the space of listening to live music together. And, you know, that's, that's what it's about. Like we're seeing so many amazing new opportunities uh, open up you know, not just for artists and moving their branding and their marketing and their career forward, which is really important to do, even despite all of this, with all of the big questions and conversations to have, but also how um, this, these new virtual spaces are bringing artists, musicians, people closer together and appreciating the cultural value of what a great song or what a great experience can do as far as community. So you, you both yeah. <laughs> kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I, I want to hear a little more details on this. So, you know, in what or how will Nay evolve once you're able to go back to live performances, whenever that is? And will that, will you still keep 
and again, and Ryan mentioned a little bit, like, will you still keep what you're doing virtually? Will you add in some more live elements of it? But have you thought about when things go, you know, whatever the new normal is, and you can be in a physical space with a group of people and how that's going to now change what NAE is? Yeah, um, I think those are great questions. I think to the first point, we are absolutely planning on continuing to live stream. Um, knowing how much control we can have over all of the elements, the technical side, the magic of um, camera switching and what that allows you to do that you can't do on a theatrical stage is really great. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think, you know, going back to more of a stage performance coming out of uh, January, we're going to have this wealth of really fun pop music material. And I think we could, you know, when we are performing on stage again together, put on a show that is just fun pop music that people just want to dance to and release that energy. Um, like the first thing I would do, <laughs> honestly, uh, once, you know, people can all hang out in a group together is go to a massive dance party and just be around people and just have fun and let go, you know? And I think, um, I, I, I want to create that environment at a show where people want to come and listen to and interact with and engage with pop music. Understanding that we've created these characters and these scenarios though too, you know, without getting too stage bantery. I mean, I'm just sort of thinking about ideas right now. I mean, maybe there's, there's narratives we can pull in from the Saturday show and the episodic series and you know, quirks about the characters that will absolutely be present and add an unexpected element, a performative element, an interactive element to those live shows in some way. But I think it's something that we're still, you know, we have to think about a little bit, but that, that's, that's my initial. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I don't want to get us off track too much, but if there are people <laughs> listening, the technical side of what we're doing changed drastically as well mm -hmm. um and that's partially because we couldn't have a band <laughs> so we knew that we were limited and i i think that like what do they call it like limitations are the uh compost of a fertile garden or something for creativity uh like having those limitations made us be super creative mm -hmm. and so when we're performing one of the things that we're doing very i think different and unique it's not a new idea, but the scope to which we've taken it, I think, is pretty different, uh, which you kind of alluded to when you asked me about how many instruments I play. Um, everything we're doing, with the exception of like a boom, click, boom, click drum set, is totally live mm -hmm. every time we do a show. And it's because we've basically synced up six, seven loop pedals. So we're able to bring things in and out between all of our instruments. So Janae is playing synth and flute and vocals, uh, and I'm playing, um, you know, bass and drums and guitar. vocals and guitar and trumpet and baritone and acoustic guitar and beatboxing and so forth. And, and we're actually looping all of those instruments to build pop tracks extremely quickly live. And, uh, you know, people who watch music that's looped, you're very used to kind of hearing like the loop builds up. And then when you get to the second section, you cut parts out, then you bring them back in, you know, and, and this, I, I would say is a little, a lot more, a little more complex than that. 
because we have so many available options. Mm -hmm. What I would like to see is live, though it's nerve wracking because it's so much easier to just play back a track, right? Like we could just play back a track and sing, but part of what makes it, I think this organic experience, and I'm so excited to see how this works in a live environment is that we are playing it live. So like when I mess up a baseline, I might have to re-record that, mm -hmm. but I don't want the audience to know that. So I, we just keep going and I just delete the thing and redo the loop and play it. <laughs> but the organic experience of live music is something that I think is gonna be uh, sort of have a rebirth because it is different. It's very different than experiencing it over some crappy ass laptop speakers you know mm -hmm. as much as that as cool as that is right or even on headphones where you're like in this little space so i'm excited to bring all of those same skills to a live stage and pull off a show on a huge pa system uh where we're rocking a stage and doing a pop show yeah. but it's all live music that's looped um and and i i i know from you know, scrolling through, you know, Twitch and YouTube live and other artists that other artists are getting these same ideas going too. Mm -hmm. like, this is not like we're like some brilliant masterminds, like people are going, Oh, shoot, I can do so much more with what was already available. Yep. And uh, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, I, that's a, a really great point. I've learned so much over the last like six months, just as far as like, how to how to make loops how to build loops and how to, you know, have our, our different looping parts interact with each other. It's, um, it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. I, I would like to see that on stage too. I know. Now that you mention it. I yeah. know. <laughs> it's just a lot to set up. It's like you set up everything for a full band. Yeah. But there's a yeah. Lot it does. That sounds really exciting though. I definitely have to kind of pay attention to what you guys are doing in 2021 and try to catch some live events just to, now I'm expecting that just so you know. <laughs> what you just described I am expecting so <laughs> you just need to make it happen at some point we'll do it we'll do it awesome so the the last little bit I want to touch on is the new intro and outro music for the show um, which I want to thank you both for but particularly Ryan who composed and I, I don't know how many instruments you played on on those but uh, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing so for the first 200 episodes I've had a, a friend of mine and I've been very fortunate about this uh, a friend of mine who is a, a Broadway a sound designer, her name is Amy Altadona, she composed the original music um, out of uh, me just begging her over email to see if she would she would create something in the genre of, to be honest, it was, it was a mixture of Tom Waits and the theme song from Justified, which is the Hard Times to Come song. Um, and so I was like, after 200 episodes, I was, it was, I wanted to change things up a bit and I uh, was very fortunate that you both agreed and particularly Ryan to create something out of, out of nothing, just from a couple of suggestions. So I, I want to ask you then, how, how do you look at composing and particularly, let's say in this assignment where I just, I sent a couple of random ideas about what I was feeling, but was open very much to anything. So how do you like approach compositions like that and was it helpful that I gave parameters or not or and how does how did that kind of work out yeah uh wow um so I, I think this relates to like a lot of the things that I've said today um 
my my process like i get it and i'm like okay this is cool i got these ideas i'm gonna listen to a bunch of stuff and yeah. like listen to these examples and um so the suggestions are great um and i think any time that an artist can give another creative person parameters to work within and then back away and not get too micro controller e on it um, it, it usually ends up being the best for that specific piece of the creative process. Mm -hmm. So like right now I have a project I'm working on where we got the parameters, the composer wrote the song, I mixed the song, we sent it back to the singer and they want to rearrange the entire song now. And so we're back in this thing where we're like, well, if you rearrange it, we have to remix it. So now our production is now two, three months delayed if we yeah. do this. And that's sort of like, getting back on top of the situation, I think can, can cause a lot of sort of consternation in the creative process. So I appreciate you being like, Hey, here's some suggestions. And from there, um, my process in general, and I talk about this a lot with artists and, and people I work with is what I call an iterative process. So I will take something and I will do it three, four, five, six times and then give myself a little space and come back to it and listen. And generally when I'm working with compositional process uh, with an outside client or whatever, I'll try to write three, four different versions that are in the right direction, but different. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what we did. And I wrote three or four examples and I said, yeah. which of these like feels like the right vibe? Um, and uh, they were all like MIDI based. I worked on them very technically like, okay, chord progression, this type of sound. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how I like to work. And uh, it's a wonderful way because you end up with all these other things that are also good ideas. So the other tracks are still there, you know, and yeah. they might have a place somewhere and you might listen to them in, in a year or two and go like, oh, this would be so great for this other thing I'm working on or whatever. Um, but I try not to have too much of an emotional connection to what I write. Ultimately I write and I write a lot and then I make decisions afterwards and I evaluate. And from there with your input, then I choose, okay, we're going to focus on this one. And then I do iterative process on that. I tried different horn parts, different bass parts. I played different basses and I put together a process to create that song that we heard. Um, that, that is now the theme song, which is yeah. so exciting. So the, the process for me is, is I think very sort of structural. It's like, if you have to get the project done, you have to put some structures in place. Uh, and so I try to hold myself to the same standards that I expect artists that I work with to, to have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it ended up there. And it's one of those things where the that process could happen again today with the exact same suggestions and we would have a completely different theme song and that's the beauty of of art and creativity because 200 years from now no one cares it's that we're doing it now yeah. and that's what i care about is like how do we make it to the finish line we don't like the process is the most important part right but if you don't like continually move towards the finish line then you're not in the process. You're talking about the process. And so many artists I find talk about the process they're on their Instagrams and their shit. And like, they don't just like put in the time. Mm -hmm. So like my schedule, I have like 
six hour creative time blocks where I'm not on social media. I'm not, I'm just sitting working or sitting practicing or practicing a baseline for your theme song so I can make sure I can pull it off. Right. <laughs> like, and so that's, that's the process from my end. And, and I, I really hope that it fits in with the, with the next 200 episodes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm sure it will. And, and, and yeah, actually it, I was thinking about that same thing earlier today of like, in thinking about like what Amy composed and at the moment of that time, I was again, spending, spending a lot of time listening to Tom Waits and watching the TV justified. And then with the, the suggestions I sent you, it was very much a time and a place in July and August where I just happened to be binging Chuck, which is not a great TV show, but it just reminded me of how much I loved Cake um, and their, their, their song, Short Skirt, Long Jacket, which is an awesome, yes. I was like, this is amazing. And then I was doing some road trips and just happened to listen to the band Traffic again mm -hmm. and to hear the low, low spark of High Heeled Boys again. And I was like, well, there was a very time and a, you know, a time and a place where I was listening to both of those simultaneously that I was like, this is what I'm interested in right now. Had I, like now I may send you something different because I'm not binging Chuck anymore, but I still love cake, but, um, but yeah, so that's, I think that's awesome. Like this, this theme song is very much, you know, of a time and a place where you and I both talked about what was happening in, you know, August of 2020. Yeah. 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 That's, I love that. So, so Ryan and Jenny, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on my 200th episode and, and to, you know, be open and honest about your process and what you're up to. I really appreciate it. For the listeners who are now watching this in 2021, um, where is the best place they can go to see more of Nay, buy your album, you know, follow what you're up to, all the good stuff online? Yeah, so Push Button Future, the debut album by Nay, is released on Friday, January 8th. You can follow Nay on Instagram at Nay Synthpop, N-A-E-S-Y-N-T-H-P-O-P. And uh, for all other updates or uh, tuning into the email list, it's naymusic.com, naymusic.com. And uh, the next Saturday, if you like what you hear, when you check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all of the platforms, the next Saturday, uh, we're launching an episodic series called Saturday Orbital Ice Cream, and that is starting on Saturday, January 9th. And so you'll be able to find that if you find my website, namemusic.com. We'll have the link there, the, you know, transportational spaceship to get to the YouTube live stream. Um, we'd love to see everyone there. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And I will make sure I put all of those links in the show notes so people can click right through and, and be part of uh, the Saturday launch. I love it. So again, awesome. Ryan, Janae, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Yuri, for having us. Yeah, thank you. So fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.